Today on This Week in Iowa, a shooting on the property of East High School. What city leaders say must be done to stop the violence. And big news from Governor Kim Reynolds. Then, should a vet have to visit a farm once a year? Well, some farmers don't think so. That's all this morning on This Week in Iowa. Good morning, everyone, and thank you so much for being with us. I'm Sabrina Ahmed. It's a big day for This Week in Iowa. We have in-studio guests today, but we'll start with some big news from this week. Des Moines police are charging six teens with the murder of a 15-year-old boy after a shooting Monday outside of East High School. Investigators say that boy is Jose David Lopez. Two other teen girls are still in the hospital in critical condition. Police say they aren't done executing search warrants or talking to potential suspects, saying there is still the possibility of more charges to come. Investigators also found at least six firearms during the investigation, and they've already brought 14 or so people into custody. Police tell us they believe the shooting is gang impacted and Lopez was the intended target. Neighbors near the school say they are stunned by the shooting. I just pray for the family and, you know, I'm sorry about the 50 year old. You know, no one deserves to die, let alone a mother getting that call because I can't imagine and I don't want that call one day. So I just pray we can all come together as adults and stop this. Like we have to stop the kids, teach these kids. This is not OK. Des Moines police said nearly three dozen shots were fired in the incident. The Polk County attorney said the teens over the age of 16 will be charged as adults based on state law. So we are here now with City Councilwoman Connie Bozen, who represents that ward, uh, which the high school is in. Councilwoman Bozen, thank you so much for being with us to discuss the tragedy that happened outside of East High School. Um, give me your initial reaction. What happened that I, day? Well, I think it's shock. We were getting ready for our city council meeting and uh, I got a call uh, right before it because it, to let me know that there'd been a shooting at East, and it's just shock. No, you know, it's that's your it, alma mater. It's my alma mater, uh, and so I'm very uh, familiar with East High, and I'm on the. We have a huge foundation and association, and I passed president of the foundation, and we're a very dedicated group of alumni to the school, and it's just a senseless tragedy that shouldn't have to happen. Now we're hearing that some of those involved uh, were associated with gangs. And these are teens, 14, 15 years old. I just think it shows that we as adults need to get our arms around our youth and we need to be able to provide programs and opportunities. And, and it really needs to start down at a younger age. We need more counselors. We need more people to help intervene and to get them more engaged in more positive activities. I know that the city of Des Moines has funded a program called Cure Violence. Uh, it's a model that was started, I believe, in Chicago, and it's really to, do, really to handle the violence as an epidemic and a health issue. And Creative Visions has the contract for it, and they're just starting the program to intervene where violence. I know there's people that have been put into the schools, they've been hired to intervene, try to be counselors, and really be um, get to the heart of conflict resolution so it doesn't escalate to something like this. When we talk about, and you and I have spoken a lot about uh, the violence in our city on a number of occasions, but most recently leading up to this, when we talk about why kids who are, or how kids who are 14 and 15 are getting guns in their hands. I keep saying adults are getting them guns, and I think we need to, I think as President Biden said, enough. I mean, we keep saying it after every shooting, but I think enough. We need to really serious look at what we're doing in the gun regulation. 14-year-olds, uh, 15-year-olds should not have guns. And to find six guns within this group is it's really problematic. 
Let's talk about some of those root causes. You talk about getting these kids some before and after school programming, uh, you know, having the, having access to um, uh, activities that they're excited about being right. a part of. Um, you know, but these gangs offer shiny things. Right, and when people, there's a huge percentage of Des Moines students live in poverty. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to a young man just a couple of weeks ago, and he said, Middle school was an area where he saw his friends go different directions. And when you're shown shiny things and you're provided food and all the amenities and all, uh, you're going to go towards that. Uh, and so we just need to really, and I, because for him, being in activities kept him grounded into a more positive direction. I know one, another item that we did is we found that, you know, kids to register for our park programs. Mm -hmm. We lowered it to $5. If you were on qualified for free and induced lunch, and it went from, I just talked to the park director, from like 8,000 students involved in registration to 17,000. Whoa. So truly cost was a barrier. Uh, many of our kids don't have the opportunities of being on league teams and things like that. So again, we need to engage in more positive activities. I do believe we need more conflict resolution people in the schools. Schools have picked up a lot of the social issues of this community. They have before school, after school, they have breakfast, they have snacks, they have lunch. And so we, that's another area where we need to look at how are we really funding schools that are in poverty. And that's fine and good during the school year, but then what happens in the summer? Well, that's where you, we need to, as a community, we've actually expanded a program for park and rec for younger kids mm -hmm. into four parks where it will be all day long. Uh, they'll have activities. And uh, so they'll, we expanded it to three more parks. Again, we need to give kids a safe place to be and a positive environment. When people at home are watching this and thinking how petrifying my I, my kids are two, they're not that age yet, but I, I, it scares me they, to know that this is the world that they're growing up in. Well, I just think everybody just needs to say, we as adults need to do more. We need to step up. It, it, this is an incident that, yes, it happened at one high school in Des Moines, but it could happen anywhere because this was could have been on the street anywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, it was targeted. It was uh, just senseless, And but we just have to do a better job of saying, how are we nurturing our youth and what can we do and be better role models and show that there's other ways to end like a conflict. We need to have, we just need to be, we just need to do more. Conflict resolution, yeah, absolutely. Um, and do you think Des Moines Public Schools can do more to stop this? Well, I don't think it's just up to the schools, but as schools have had, you know, I just, I go back to, we have to have, it takes resources to do that. Because these are outside, this isn't just education. Mm -hmm. We're providing community and schools. We have food pantries in our schools. In some of our schools, we have washer and dryers. I mean, so I think what we thought of school maybe when we were in school is much different. We're asking schools to do much more than ever before. I have always been a huge proponent for even preschool. Right. We need universal preschool, especially for kids that live in poverty all day. So the parents, it's a workforce issue. Parents can go back to work and the kids get a good start. So I think we just all have to look at what we can do to make things better for our youth. Connie Bozen, thank you so much for the, your time. And I'm just so sorry this happened yeah. right um, thank you. in your community, in our community. Coming up on This Week in Iowa, a big announcement from Governor Kim Reynolds. I was there to hear her plans, and I'll share those with you next.
Kim Reynolds is running for re-election. She made the announcement in front of a crowd of hundreds of supporters this week, and I was there. Take a listen. Governor Reynolds began her speech saying she is in awe of Iowans for the way they step up in times of crisis, like this weekend in Winterset. Well, for heaven's sakes, we're Iowans. Where else would we be? But it was a quick pivot to painting two very different pictures of our country. The liberal elite taking away freedoms during the pandemic. Businesses were locked down and kids were out of the classroom. You would see a nation in chaos. First, the Republican-led states, like Iowa. Iowa stood up and we stood out. We fought for greater freedom. We took on Biden's COVID mandates. We banned mass mandates in our schools. Reynolds saying she's made good on her promises from the last election. We are protecting the unborn and standing up for our law enforcement. We're preserving girls sports for girls. Touting the tax cuts she signed into law last week. Tax cuts liberal groups say are lining the pocketbooks of corporate donors at the expense of everyday Iowans. It is an extreme piece of legislation that will not only harm low income families, but it will also shift the ability of our state in the near future to maintain its responsibilities such as funding of our public schools. Former Lieutenant Governor Patty Judge says four more years of Reynolds is the wrong direction. Maybe she thinks she needs to uh, stay around for another four years to try to take care of some of the issues that uh, she missed. But that's not the tone from former Governor Terry Branstad, saying she's done a tremendous job. She's in a stronger position than I ever was. And I think it's because of the record that she's established. Democrat Deidre DeGere is running against Governor Reynolds. She announced her candidacy in August of last year. A rule change for Iowa farmers have some, has some upset how they are trying to find some common ground with veterinarians. Next. A new state rule that governs the care of livestock was temporarily delayed after major Iowa farm groups objected. A legislative committee voted this week. The rule was scheduled to go into effect April 1, but is delayed for 70 days until June. The rule would have mandated veterinarians examine animals they are prescribing drugs to or visit the site where the animals are raised at least once a year. It's a rule farmers and veterinarians have had 12 months to prepare for. The chairman of the Iowa Veterinary Medicine board said in the meeting this week that the current verbiage calling for a timely and medically necessary visit was too vague and it was time to quote put some teeth in the rule to protect veterinary health. So we are here now with Eldon McAfee, who is an attorney for the Iowa pork producers on the far right of your screen and representative Mike Sexton, who sits on the rules committee that put a pause on this rule going into effect. So first of all, did I miss anything in that proposed rule change, gentlemen? Nice. No, yeah, okay, that right. covers it. All right. So representative Sexton, um, talk to me a little bit about what you do, your history as a farmer and why you see this rule change change is beneficial. Well, Sabrina, first, thank you for having me here this, this morning. Uh, as you said, I'm a far, I've been a, a farm my whole life. I'm a fourth generation farmer in Calhoun County and a livestock producer. And one of the concerns that the Veterinary Medicine Board had was that we specifically 
for uh, swine, mm -hmm. we had cases of prescription drugs showing up with the little pigs to go into the building. And that, I guess, that concerned us and concerned the vet med board, and so they, that's the reason they delivered the rule. Okay, so uh, talk to me about uh, Mr. McAfee, why the mm -hmm. Iowa pork producers don't agree with this rule change. Okay, and first of all, if I may, I'm a former farmer myself. <laughs> okay. Before I became a lawyer 30 years ago, I was a dairy farmer, and I'd like, I'd like to mention that because working, I'm representing the association just as uh, Representative Sexton has constituents, but we both have our personal lives, mm -hmm. and I like to feel we've got some good background here on a relationship with veterinarians. Our concern is, uh, you know, this changes it to a hard and fast rule once every 12 months. And if that works for the veterinarians, we have, we know of some producers that it works for them and their veterinarians, but it's not working for others. And as far as what uh, Representative Sexton has mentioned, we've heard that from the vet board. If that's going on, the current rule would cover it and it should be taken care of. That should not be happening. You need a vet, veterinary client patient relationship for antibiotics. And we in no way support that. And uh, <laughs> well, the Iowa Veterinary Medicine Association is solidly behind this. So what veterinarians are you hearing from or what pork producers are you hearing from or how are they saying that they aren't? Well, I would say like any association, there's always <laughs> there, there's a, an association position and then you have individuals within the association and we know of veterinarians who do not support the rule. Why not? Uh, what they look at, the current rule is for best professional judgment, I'll call that. And that's been a standard that they think is working well, but obviously others don't. What we're looking at here is a hard and fast rule. It seems to us, anyway, to be a point a little more at enforcement than really biosecurity and animal health. And biosecurity is a huge concern here. Anytime an individual, including a veterinarian who is around animals who have been sick often, you have your downtimes before you can go to a site to do this on-site examination. And we're concerned, you know, we're looking at telemedicine, both, you know, human tel uh, telemedicine is a big thing, as well as uh, in livestock. And I guess we're looking at this rule as maybe taking a step back. We just want the chance to work something out and see if we can come to a compromise on maybe some other options besides being on site every now, 12 months. Now, I am not a farmer. Um, I grew up in Iowa. I'm from here. I'm from, I've lived in Des Moines my whole life. Um, but it doesn't seem far-fetched to me, Representative Sexton, to have to have a veterinarian stop by for 30 minutes in a 12-month period. Well, as a, as a livestock producer, I will say that that's one of your one of your closest relationships you have as a livestock farmer is with your veterinarian. Mm -hmm. They are an integral part of your operation, and and you need them. And I would say that as this rule progressed, I didn't hear from one livestock farmer that had a problem with this rule. In fact, we were surprised when when Eldon showed up uh, well, at, the, at, at the meeting. So, and, and I will say Eldon and I, are, we work together. I, I've been, I'm on the ag committee. Right. You know, I'm, you know, agriculture is very important to, to me. And so I wouldn't do anything that I thought was gonna jeopardize the livestock industry uh, in the state of Iowa. And I don't think this, I don't think this rule does that at all. I, you know, we all know that there, we talk about antibiotics in our water supply and, and resistant strains of diseases to antibiotics. So I think it's, 
to take a little extra step to make sure that we can prevent some of those things, I think is very important. Okay, I want to continue this conversation. We'll talk about what the next steps are in this 70-day pause period. So stay with us, gentlemen. Thank you for being with us. You're watching This Week in Iowa, and we'll be right back. continue our discussion this morning with Representative Mike Sexton, who is uh, the Majority Whip, and with Eldon McAfee, who is an attorney for the Iowa Pork Producers. Gentlemen, thank you for continuing this conversation. Before we went to break, we were talking um, about how you don't think that this is something um, that is too far-fetched for, uh, for producers to have to, uh, too much of a hurdle. You said you haven't heard from a single producer who is not on board with this. So, Eldon, <laughs> that brings me back to you. Who are we hearing from? Uh, well, uh, we're hearing from our members. Okay. And, uh, and, and is the, are these are these very large producers? Are they people who farmers who have you know thousands of head of hog? Or head of cattle? Okay, I'm going to be careful here because okay. the, the definition of very large, as Representative Sexton knows, is different. Okay. But we're hearing from all sorts of producers okay. if, through our membership. But I guess what I want to, and, and I understand what U.S. Uh, Representative Sexton was about, is once a year too much to ask just to stop by? We, we're fine with that being an option. We want to look at other options that could also establish the vet client patient relationship. And really, two things more than that. Uh, mon modern uh, pork production is not just where an animal is born on a site and then is raised there until slaughter, uh, to processing. No, there, we have multi-site production and the way the rule is worded it appears to require that that vet see that animal at each site and I know there's been some discussion on the board whether that's actually how it'll be enforced. That's one of the issues but again for us it comes back to uh, the other issue uh, one being specialists. Uh, you know we all have specialists now and can that specialist veterinarian work with a local veterinarian who maybe has that on-site uh, uh, contact, but does that specialist have to also be okay. on-site? And that's where we run into a lot of issues. Okay, so maybe it's some technicalities in there. You, with this proposed rule change um, being pushed back for 70 days, you and the rules board have said, okay, find some common ground here then. Yeah, and, and that's almost always what the rules review committee that's our standard policy is to tell the two sides or whoever's involved you guys and that's why i was a little forceful at the meeting <laughs> because i wanted the two groups <laughs> to know that i was serious that they needed to get together and work this out um, because we want it to work for everybody right and so that's i think only tw i talked to representative jones who's the vice chair i think only twice in the last 20 years have we just objected to a rule and so, and the reason being, we, we want to bring everybody together and, and work it out. So it, so it does work for everybody. So if common ground is not found in the next 70 days, it goes into effect in June, no matter what. So what are you hearing from the Veterinarian Association and who you're working with? What are these next steps, Elvin? Well, of course, it's only been a few days. Right, yes, of course. We're, we're working on, we have some proposals we have worked on for, again, options mm -hmm. of uh, using telemedicine, et cetera. First of all, I also want to say, when uh, Mr. Uh, or Representative Sexton <laughs> said he was a little forceful. I knew I was in for a tough question when he started out with, now counselor. 
<laughs> After 20 years yeah. of a relationship, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. I knew, all right, here he comes. Anyway, that's fine. We're ready for this discussion. But what we're looking at now, and I know, like you mentioned, it's been a rule that's been worked on for quite a while, mm -hmm. and we understand that. We're hoping with the help of the administrative rules committee, we can now sit down and have a discussion about some of these other options. And one thing I also want to emphasize as far as pork producers are concerned, there are other programs in place to make sure antibiotic use is done properly with a proper vet-client-patient relationship. It's called the Pork Quality Assurance Program. It's not a law, but uh, most major meat processors requ <clears throat> require their producers to follow that. So we, we have other things we work with here that we believe assures the proper antibiotic use, but we understand this rule is coming and we're willing to work on options. One other small moment I would like to just point out. There was a moment in the meeting where a veterinarian said that they, um, he went to a site to mm -hmm. find that cows had been given uh, medicine meant for pigs. Um, and that, as a consumer of meat, mm -hmm. seems alarming. So how can we stop practices like that without a veterinarian on site? Well, I, you know, I, in, I'm not, you know, that was the doctor's mm -hmm. experience right. and we have to take it for his experience. Uh, you know, accidents happen. Uh, we understand that. But we do, uh, I mean, in this day and age when the consumer is very concerned about how, how farmers raise their products to sell to consumers, we do have to worry about that as farmers. So I, I think that's very important. I mean, we, we there's, there's um, you know, days to, that we have to, you can't give a shot till they right. get slaughtered and there's expiration dates and there's a lot of things that Absolutely. we need to worry about. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time this morning. Thank we'll take you. a short break everyone and we'll be right back. Thank you so much for joining us here for this week in Iowa. It was so fun to have guests in studio. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend, and we'll see you next week.